Coming up on this Big Gay Fiction Fest episode, J.R. Gray joins us in an author spotlight. Welcome to episode 384 of the Big Gay Fiction Podcast, the show for avid readers and passionate fans of gay romance fiction. I'm Jeff, and with me as always is my co-host and husband, it's Will. Hello, Rainbow Romance Reader. Welcome back to the Big Gay Fiction Fest. For this author spotlight, we've got J.R. Gray. Gray's been publishing since 2014 when his book Legally Bound came out, and that was a book that he was actually encouraged by a friend to release. Currently, he's releasing books in his Love Equation series, which continues with The Forbidden Equation that comes out on June 22nd. In addition to talking about those books, we also discuss how a pre-pandemic realization helped him focus and keep writing through the distraction. Gray, welcome to Big Gay Fiction Fest. We're so glad you could join us. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Before we get into your latest book, let's look back at some of your past. And I'm curious to know what what set you up on the path to being a writer? I have always written, um, even before I could write, as a little kid, I told stories. I loved to make up. I had an, uh, an imaginary alien race when I was uh, four or five that I used to tell stories about and, you know, different currencies and planetary ranking systems that I would just go on and on about. Um, so it's always been um, a kind of therapy for me. I put feelings and emotions and just everything into writing, not where it would like reflect my real emotions or feelings, but, you know, depending on what I'm feeling, just emotion wise would go into a different scenario in my novel. So I wrote just myself. I never planned on publishing. Um, so yeah, I, I would just spend hours and hours. And then finally I had a friend who begged me to read one of my finished books and I had just finished Legally Bound, which is my first published novel. And finally I was like, okay, you can read this. It's probably crap. I mean, I no editor, nothing. I didn't have beta readers. I didn't know anything about the publishing world, which was nuts. Um, and she read it in like a day and came back and was like, you have to publish this. And I was like, I don't know anything about publishing, you know, Twitter. I was, had been on Twitter for a few years. So I kind of looked around and found some smaller, uh, publishers that did MM and submitted. And I think I submitted to six and four of the six said yes. And I was like, what, <laughs> what am I going to do? Like, I didn't know there was an MM community. I didn't know it was a genre or a thing. It was like very bizarre, like diving in headfirst experience, which is not really the best way to do things, but it worked out. So there's so much interesting stuff to unpack there, but I have to go back to the five-year-old. Oh yeah. What got you into not just telling stories, but I mean, constructing worlds and like you said, currencies and stuff and essentially going down that kind of sci-fi fantasy path. Well, my dad was a huge sci-fi buff. So he, you know, bought every new sci-fi novel, which at the time there weren't a ton um, in the 80s and 90s. So he would buy everyone that came out. We had like all of Osmo, all of um, Frank Herbert and like all the big names and all the smaller names. So we had at that, you know, by the time I can remember a library of sci-fi. So sci-fi was a 
huge influence on my whole childhood. And he, so I don't know if it was that or if he was very into it, but because I couldn't read at that point. So I just always made up stories and they tended to veer towards that direction. Like, even if I was playing Legos with my friends, I would like play 18 characters where they all played one. Because we used to do like Deep Space Nine Legos um, and build the spaceship out of Legos. And then I would be like all the side characters because I just wanted to be like 18 personalities. So I think I've always gravitated towards huge, like making a full world. That is awesome. And of course, it set you up well to be a novelist. Oh, yeah. I never planned on being. So it it kind of just happened because I went to school for I'm a pilot. So that's was my initial plan was to be fly planes. So and I still do, but not for a living. That's also awesome getting to just fly. I mean, being a pilot in the first place, you you know, up in the air and everything, but you can even go on your own research, (laughs) research trips now. (laughs) That's true. But uh, yeah, it's just so expensive, especially with gas as high as it is. Jet fuel is even more, you know, great, you know, for even small planes, gas is just so expensive. So it's fun, but like, you know, on an occasion where you can rent a plane, but I really enjoy it. What sent you down the path of MM Romance? You had that first book that you did that your friend kind of pushed you into publishing. How did you end up writing in that genre? I, because I'm queer, I've always enjoyed queer stories and I just wrote them myself because I didn't have a lot of them. So uh, because I tend to put myself in stories and my feelings in stories, they've always gravitated towards a queer space. So that's just where I'm happiest. I've definitely written some, you know, MF stuff, but it's, it's not my preferred. What would you say at this point, you know, like eight years in, what's the trademark of a J.R. Gray book? I would say like gritty and raw and real. I like deep emotions and very real characters. Um, I know fluff is really big in gay romance, but that has never been, I can't do it. My brain won't. It's like, we need some conflict here, some suspense or, you know, feelings, something to get past. And certainly one of the themes in your books is mental health topics. Yes. Where did your passion for mental health awareness come from? Well, I have anxiety, terrible anxiety, um, and have had depression off and on my whole life. But I also, my sister died by suicide when I was 18. So I think that just profoundly changed the way I interact with the world. And when she died, it was very, nobody talked about it. Um, I grew up Catholic, so it was very you know, we can't talk about this, it's shameful. And mental health awareness is just always something I've been very passionate about because it's not talked about enough. And I want people to see themselves in stories and I want, you know, to feel the representation just like with queer stories, it's important to acknowledge that's how a lot of people are living and surviving and to have a happily ever after because I love romance for that reason. Like, it might be rough getting there, but it, we're going to get that happily ever after. Mm-hmm. 
And sometimes the rougher it is, the sweeter that happily ever after. Exactly. Turns out especially to be, if there's too. yes, like especially with people suffering depression. You know, some of the best reader comments I've ever gotten was I've never seen depression written how I feel it and I connected so much with this character. Those I love those emails because that makes doing what I do so much more worth it. Are those difficult stories for you to write or does it turn into kind of a catharsis for you to put that onto the page? Like I said, a lot of times it's therapy. It's, it's so good to get it out or things I've felt or things I've gone through or, you know, bad days, like it definitely, or especially anxiety because I deal with anxiety to once I get it out on the page, it feels like a weight has been lifted. It's, it's nice to get those things off, off my chest. And how do you think your stories have changed over your eight years? I mean, beyond the fact that you kind of figured out all the publishing bits and pieces, yes. how, how have you evolved as a storyteller in those years? I think my prose has gotten a lot better in eight years. So I, you know, I, writing is a craft and I think we're all constantly evolving as writers. So I do think, you can see that progression from earlier books. Cause even though I'd written a lot of books before I published my first one, you can still see the progression and the, I, I love Stephen King's philosophy of like, leave every chapter on a cliffhanger, even if it's a small question, even if it's, you know, not a huge conflict, but leaving questions because that keeps people turning pages. So I've always carried that. And I think I've gotten a lot better at that. I think I've gotten better at, you know, more well-rounded stories and fleshed out characters, but, and prose definitely is my biggest, I think, accomplishment. And how do you think that the, the landscape of publishing has changed since you first got in there eight years ago? I mean, certainly we've seen queer stories, you know, going from a handful of niche publishers to really kind of, you know, expanding who's publishing it, where you can find it, you know, more than just e-publishing now and things like that? Uh, well, it used to be when KU was brand new, it was, the rank was different. It was, so my earlier books ranked well, but they had like a fraction of the numbers I do now. So it's interesting to see how many more people are reading because, and especially queer stories, because you can just see in the numbers from eight years ago to now that so many more people are reading books just by your Amazon rank and sales. So you can definitely see the genres exploded that way because we have a lot more readers, a lot more people buying and reading in KU, but also so many people like mainstream authors are doing MM books, which is nice to see. There's the more awareness of it, the, you know, they're at signings and I hope that helps push it more into mainstream media as well, because, you know, with Netflix and all these people who will tell queer stories, we need them. Yeah. I know for me, it's all, it, it was nice this last holiday season to actually see a queer love story in a holiday yes. movie on Netflix. Cause that's like a you know, next level of, you know, an accomplishment. Like you essentially you exactly. unlocked a ba some kind of accomplishment badge with that. Exactly. And even for like minor, like I know there was a minor side character in a Marvel that was, you know, referred to as queer or, uh, you know, these, these small steps, they are 
important to mainstream acceptance and seeing more of ourselves in mainstream media. You know, so it's it's so nice to see, especially romance, because romance has kind of always been, I feel like, shit on by the rest of the book world as, you know, this light thing that's Fabio on the cover. And it's not. There's so many well-told, beautifully done stories that are romance and it's a massive genre it carries publishing so for hollywood to like be acknowledging that with netflix and a christmas movie that's a romance that's bigger budget i feel like they're finally acknowledging that romance dollars are important and that you know there is an audience for them mm -hmm. yeah i was seeing i don't remember the outlet that published it but somebody was saying that you know it was, it was once again time to acknowledge romance in general because yes. of bridgerton and how good season two is doing. Plus, you've got that new Sandra Bullock movie, The Lost City, I think it's called. And all the box mm -hmm. office that it did. And it's, you know, romance centric. And yeah, people. Yeah. And I feel like they kind of gave us rom-coms for a little while. But it was like, they're like, oh, they're chick flicks. And, you know, nobody took them seriously. But I, I do think romance has such a spending dollar that it needs to be acknowledged as for what it is. So I'm, I'm really happy to see, you know, Netflix doing them and, and hopefully it'll keep picking up and we'll get more queer romance stories in mainstream. Had romance always been kind of where you wanted to write, even again, kind of going back to your early days, you know, kind of telling sci-fi stories, how did you land really in romance to be what you're publishing? I, everything has always had an element, like I wrote even some YA stuff and even that had a romantic element to it. So I found, I just really like telling love stories. I love the conflict of it. I love two, the character dynamics of two people coming together to make things work and even putting in hard work for those because even at their best relationships are work, which I like acknowledged, um, is even I have books that are relationship angst, as I'd call them, but higher like outside conflict angst. And there's still things to work through. And, you know, two people coming together is just a, such a great connection. I, I've always loved it. You released quite a few books in 2020 <laughs> and 2021. How did you keep your creative well filled as the pandemic, you know, began and then rolled on? for two years? Cause I know a lot of people struggled through that, through that yeah. time frame. I had a, right before the pandemic in January, before that hit, I had a huge light bulb moment. My, I was in a writer's retreat with some of my friends. Um, and my friend Katie McGee looked at me and she was like, you have ADHD. And I was like, no, I'm not like hyperactive. I've never. And she was like going through like the like list of, how ADHD presents in people. And I had one of those, oh shit moments, like, oh yeah, that might actually be true. <laughs> so I came home and talked to um, my doctor and my psychiatrist and realized I do have ADHD. And that, that realization really, really helped me more than almost anything else in my publishing career. Like being able to like turn off some of that noise sometimes 
with medication and therapy has helped me just because I used to have a big problem where I'd start one book and then jump to another book and then jump to another book. So I'd have like six half finished novels and I still have that problem a little bit, but finishing and sticking to a story, it has made it so much easier. So whilst the pandemic was really rough in a lot of ways, it also was really helpful to me to be able to like figure out that and stay focused on one novel at a time or at least try. (laughs) And, And speaking of, I mean, your latest, you've got the love equation series going on and You've just released the third book in that right here before the fest. Tell us about that series and what readers are going to find in the forbidden equation. So I've always had an issue with tons of plot bunnies. I have a whole file of them and uh, um, I write with Ella Ellis James a lot, Um, not together, but we will sprint as a lot of authors do. So her and I will like talk about ideas constantly. And I had this idea for the first Love Equations book, The Friendship Equation. And I brought it to her and she's like, you have to write that book right now. And I was like, I have this other series I'm working on, which is the Pretty Broken series of rock stars. Um, And that book was coming out and she was like, nope, you have to write it right now. I need this book. So I like rearranged my schedule and wrote the first one and people just loved it. So I, it was going to be a standalone. I turned it into a series. So uh, the forbidden equation is about the main character from the friendship equations brother. And yeah, it just kind of exploded that way. What are the stories that you're telling in that series? So the friendship equation is sports romance. It's high school and swimmers, but it's a bio awakening, you know, out for you. He's one character. Vance is in love with his best friend, Harden, and he like blurts it out to him in like over a conversation. And um, so it's kind of a like, coming of age and realizing that they're in love and they're best friends. And then with the background of swimming and sports and Hardin's father's running for office. So it's a big complex puzzle of, I want to be out and accept who I am. And I realizing I'm bisexual Uh, at the same time, my father's running for office and this might not be good for his political career. So it's a very, big world with a lot of like complex life issues that, you know, I think 18 and 20 year olds are facing these days with being out in the current political environment. So, you know, the third book, The Forbidden Equation is about his younger brother coming out in a time where his father's in office and there's a lot of, um, you know, drama surrounding just his trying to lead a normal 20 year old life, but it's compounded by what everybody else wants from you. What do you think resonated so much with people, even going back to the author you were doing sprints with, who's like, I need that book right now, even as you're describing it? Uh, So this conversation was more than a year ago. What? I can't remember the, because I, 
wrote the blurb, I think, which I don't usually do. Usually I wait like most other authors until like the last minute to write the blurb before it needs to be put up on Amazon. Right. Because they're the worst (laughs) thing to work on. (laughs) But with this one, I just had such a clear vision of what the book was going to be. I wrote the blurb and sent it to her. And she just was like, I need this book right now. And a new series was born. (laughs) Yeah. And I, you know, I usually write, you know, most of my characters are 20s to 30s. So 18 was young um, because it's definitely not a YA. It's definitely adult um, because it's spicy, as they'd say on TikTok. But (laughs) it, it, that's not usually my high school is not usually my thing either. So it was a, a different direction for me, but I had a lot of fun with it. You mentioned you'd done some YA previously. Well, that was before I was publishing. You know, ah. it was just for me. So Burn That Bridge is a little bit YA, but again, they're 18. So, and that's my book, a, tra- a trans main character. Um, but it's it's definitely not my normal. You mentioned the file of plot bunnies. Where do you find yourself getting most of your plot bunnies to to put into that file? Like it, they just come to me. I don't, I don't know what it is. It's just, this would be an interesting, like my first book is the Legally Bound, the first published book I have. I was like, what if uh, this lawyer had a one night stand and the next morning in court, he realizes that he's defending, he's a public defender. He's defending his one night stand from the night before and just the chaos that ensues. So I usually start with something like that, a first chapter or something, you know, a, a situation that I find interesting. Um, that's how my uh, Pretty Broken series starts too. It's a writer who is writing in a sex club and he um, makes eyes with a guy across the room and they just, he goes over and they talk during a sex act. So it's, it's kind of shocking that, uh, and they're just having a conversation while this rock star is, um, yeah in the middle of the sex act. So uh, just the connection that formed from that. So I, I like, you know, big first chapters, I guess, <laughs> give you shock you into this book, shock you into it, but also hook you in to keep you kind of, uh, yeah. I mean, just the hook on legally, legally bound alone. I mean, it takes the idea of that, you know, what you could see sometimes in kind of workplace romances sometimes where it's like, you know, you're coming to interview and, oh, the guy I just hooked up with is now interviewing yeah. me or vice versa. It's a whole other level when you're the attorney and your hookup happens to be who you're defending. <laughs> and that's, I loved that, like, shock and we're in a courtroom and a lot of times public defenders are meeting you for the first time, like, right before an arraignment. So it's very complicated and not a great place to be like oh why were i was just with you at last night what did you do from the time you left to now that we're in a courtroom so it's there's a lot of dynamic to that you mentioned too with love equations for example that it was going to be a standalone but that it became a series in general, do you plan out, you know, I've got this idea and I'm going to make this into a series or is it more of the idea of, well, that worked well, let's make it a series? Usually if it's a standalone, it stays a standalone for me. Um, like Pretty Broken was, has planned to be five books and it's going to be five books. 
um, one for each rock star in the band. But yeah, not usually do I turn a standalone into a series if it's done really well. So this, so like Legally Bound was five books and it was planned to be that. But no, Love of Coation is kind of just, everybody loved it. And then um, I was having lunch with a friend of mine who she runs the Wanderlust signing. And we were talking about it and she was just telling me how much she loved Heart in Advance. And then sitting there at lunch, I got the idea for book two and book three. And they just kind of took off from there. And I was like, when am I going to fit this into my schedule? This was supposed to be uh, standalone, which is another problem altogether. Standalone series. It's fun though, right? (laughs) It is fun, but it's like, (laughs) we don't have infinite amount of time, which we need, especially I feel like this year has gone so fast that, you know, trying to fit in everything. Cause I had already planned. I have uh, my working dog series that started with um, the YBBB giveaway book. One is free in that giveaway. So I plan on doing this FBI working dog series. So I had to like slot in the love equations books with, those books so it's definitely been trying to juggle a lot of things this year how much do you try to plan for your year versus just deciding i want to work on this and want to work on this and i asked this question already knowing that like you've got 2023 pre-orders up on amazon (laughs) so i pre-adhd i didn't plan anything it was like i have to really be in a mood to write a book i you know, jumped around so much, it was a problem. So I tried not to plan anything. And still, my muse is definitely fickle. So sometimes I'll have a plan for a book, and it turns into something completely else while I'm writing it, which I just let go because characters are going to do what they want to do. They do not like to listen to anyone. So I try never. I I'm a pantser. I don't fully plot out my books. I have an idea where they start and where they end, and they go where they go. And even sometimes the ending changes. But since that, especially with series, I've done much better in being able to plan out, you know, about how long a book takes me and where they're going to fit in my schedule. Um, My 23 dates, I I push stuff out a year because Amazon lets you schedule a year out. So I will bring those in as long as I keep to my schedule and, you know, can fit everything in that I want to fit in. So those will probably end up being fall and winter instead of next spring. Oh, nice. Yeah. Even sooner to get to some of those titles. In, in the, in yeah, those exactly. Do you have favorite tropes that you like to work with, with so many divergent types of books out there? It seems like you may also diversify across tropes, but do you have some that are like your go-to favorites? I do. And I try to write those less because I don't want them to be like in every single book. So I absolutely love Enemies to Lovers. Um, and I love There's Only One Bed. I don't know why, but like Force Proximity is like, I will read every book with that. So I definitely try and not put them in every book. Um, and I try and really diversify across tropes because... I feel like readers, you know, don't, well, probably some readers want the same thing over and over, but people like differences and different scenarios. And I try and do twists on tropes, like pretty toxic. My 
book that came out in March, which is number two in Pretty Broken, um, was Best Friends to Enemies to Lovers. So it wasn't just one, it was kind of throwing it in that they went through the evolution of we're best friends and now we hate each other and then they got back together. Is there a trope that you would like to work with more? No, I don't think there is. I think do, you know, try and cover them as much, but I liked, like I said, I like to change them. I, you know, I've been writing so long now. I don't want to be repetitive of myself even. So I try and turn them on their nose a little bit even. You've got several series in progress and of course, uh, standalones in the backlist too, because you've got eight years of backlist. Yeah. For someone new to your work, where would you kind of recommend as the ideal on-ramp? I would say Love Equations is great. Um, the Friendship Equations is a you know great introduction to my work. I would also say Scapegoat, which is my working dog series. If you like suspense and uh, like FBI type stuff, is great even pretty broke you know just i like my recent work I, I think it's better i think the last few years are better than even some of my favorites i know unscripted is probably one of my most read book ever and um, that's celebrity romance um yeah i think my newer work really it's above and beyond Excellent. I know I'm going to be picking up some books soon. I mean, awesome. I'm going to have to go back to the Le to Legally Bound because you kind of got me there with that one. Yeah. <laughs> that pairing. That's, so. that's how I sell it too. Like when I'm at a signing or because I do a lot of those, I I like to have little one-liners as a lead-in and, and that gets so many people. And I think that's why that book did well because it was just packaged well and it has great covers. So and coming up after Forbidden Equation, what do people have to look forward to from you later into this year? You mentioned perhaps pulling in some of those 2023 pre yes, dates. So what can you tease us about? I am doing, um, right now I'm going to be working on my, the second Working Dogs novel. So it's um, another pair of search and rescues who work with labs for the FBI and they will be in Alaska on a search and rescue mission. So pretty excited about that one. I like your divergence across like subgenres too. You've got a little bit of like new adult ecology and a little mm -hmm. bit of romantic suspense going on. And yeah, I, I find if I just stick to one area, I get bored with myself. So I like, especially writing series. I, I don't think I could write one series all the way through. I need to like be back and forth a little bit to keep my brain engaged, you know, yeah, it definitely keeps it interesting to kind of mix things mm -hmm. up a little bit. Yeah. While, while and, also kind of keeping to what your trademarks are. Yeah. And I think my readers have been great about, they're very happy to go from this romantic suspense to, you know, the rock star or, you know, the new adult. So, and with the sports mixed in, it's been great. I know you said you, you do, you, you're a pantser. How much research do you have to kind of work in as you're either, you know, having to research how an investigation goes or maybe what's going to happen with a rock star on the road or, you know, what attorneys are doing in court? How does that fit into being a pantser at the same time? I do an insane amount of research. I do months and months of research leading in. Um, 
everything from writing rock star romance. I taught myself to play guitar and wow. uh, yeah, it, I, I started listening to this po- another podcast that just talks to songwriters. So they just sit down with songwriters and the host is a songwriter and they talk about the writing process and their lives. So I listened to, you know, my research spans like massive parts. I do a lot of um, YouTube. I did, I read a lot of articles for my rock stars and my celebrities about what it was like to work in depth with directors and how weird even like sex scenes got when they were filming because I remember reading this one article talking about how the director was in a tent with them and they were in a sleeping bag and it was like this tiny cramped space and just one camera while they were filling, filming like a sex scene for, I can't even remember the movie, but it was just how awkward it was being in this tiny tent with your co-star and a director um, with very little on. And so I love to get into those little elements of how awkward things can be and uh, just the difficulty Um, I was listening to another podcast on blind items. I don't know if you know what blind items are for celebrities, but they're basically little bits of gossip overheard by industry professionals and published in a way that doesn't really state who it's about, but you can figure out who it's about. Um, And that's so they don't get sued for libel. So I've been doing a ton of research on celebrity gossip and what teams allow to come out and how difficult it is still in this day and age to be queer in the industry and how you'll get blackballed if you come out as a celebrity or a singer songwriter. So I love my research. You make the research sound fun. I mean, learning how to play guitar sounds fun, although a big lift to do the research at the same time. I also, I had this thing where I like to learn one new skill a year. So in 2020, it was skateboarding. So I could skateboard with my kids. This in 21, it was playing the guitar. I don't know what 22 will be, but I, so that was, you know, I'm going to write these books. I'm going to teach myself to do this. I'm going to listen to, um, I have a Skillshare account where I mostly learned how to play guitar, but they had songwriting classes and music theory and it is fun. Um, and I try and keep it that way. Cause I, you should enjoy those parts of your job. You want to, you know, it has to be engaging because if you're excited about it, then that shows in your reading, I feel like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would agree. You could tell when somebody's really into what they're, what they've written and put on the page. Yeah. And so if I feel like I'm not like into a story enough or connecting enough, I try and do more research because I feel like if, you know, that spurns, spurs your creativity to really get into how these, this life would be led and what they'd be dealing with day to day. How much time did you give yourself, for example, to learn to skateboard or learn guitar before you had to apply those into your books? skateboarding has not been applied to a book yet that was we were mid-pandemic it was the summer and I was like I need you know I like to learn to do something every year so uh my oldest son really wanted to learn how to skateboard so I was like all right let's do this um and that's really bold skateboarding I mean it just seems like a way to get super hurt (laughs) that was a fear that was definitely and I had just gotten in um a new iphone like 
12 or 11 or something. And my own, the only time I've actually fallen, I felt I was holding my phone and I felt right on it and shattered the thing. It was like three days old. And I took it into Apple because I had Apple care and they were like, we, how, how did you do this? <laughs> they were like, we're not even mad. We're kind of impressed. So that was bad. But, you know, and then the next day I woke up and I'm like, where did this giant bruise come from? Oh, yeah, that was my bad. <laughs> so just one fall and the rest has been fine. But it is definitely, I feel like there's a steep learning curve. I also started with a long board, which is a little bit easier than a trick board. They if you get a nice one, they have, they glide really well. They have good wheels. They turn great. So yeah, I just jumped into that one head first too, but the guitar, I think I played for three months before I started writing. And certainly guitar is a little safer. So <laughs> much safer. That was, that was a better indoor, uh, pandemic skill. <laughs> So, of course, this Big Gay Fiction Fest is taking place during Pride Month, and we would love to know what Pride means to you. I still, to me, Pride is fundamentally a protest, and it's remembering how far we've come and how far we still have to go, especially in the current climate and how many like, anti-trans bills there are at, coming up and how vulnerable trans children are that... I, I still, it's definitely a celebration of how far we've come and where we are, but I still think it needs to be viewed as a protest to keep, to remember that we have still so much to fight for, which is important. Yeah. And as you said, especially now when it seems like the things that yeah. we have fought for might be taken Are back. in jeopardy. Yeah. Yes. So I feel like there's so much at stake still every day with, you know, the anti-trans bills coming up and what Texas and Florida have done, Florida with the don't say gay. Like, I think there's so much more we have to protect. So pride is a celebration, but it still needs to be viewed as a protest. And we still need to, you know, claw back and keep every right we've gained. How does pride manifest itself in your stories? I think in the acceptance, I think there's so much, I, especially in my love equations, there's a lot of like coming into yourself and acceptance and being excited and happy. And it reflects in my rock star romance. And I want to be out and I want people to know, and I want to be able to, you know, walk down the street with my boyfriend and not have to hide it. So I think those elements of pride are very important to me. And they are in my books over and over that you know, even against like families or political or whatever odds, I want to be out and accept myself and have other people accept me and be happy. Mm -hmm. Well said. And I think in some ways, the stories that we all write are a little bit of a form of protest as well. Just exactly put those characters out there. Yeah. And, you know, support from readers is important. And like we said, mainstream support has just been we got to keep growing it. Mm -hmm. What do you hope that readers most take away from your stories? I want people to feel stuff when they read my books. I like feelings. I love when readers send me a message that they have a book hangover or I made them cry or they connected with a character, you know, sad, happy, all of it is 
I like I like books that make me feel. So I think it's important when readers have those same experiences. Mm-hmm. It always means something to me when I hear from a writer who says, you know, this part of my book really made me laugh or this part of my book, you know, made me cry as the author. I think that always means that the the reader is probably going to take just that much more from it if you as the creator could have that reaction. And that's since writing has always been therapy for me, it is I like to put you know things I'm feeling happy, sad, frustrated, mad, you know, I that's what I'm usually feeling. So what no matter if the circumstances are completely different, it's still this made me, I was, you know, very upset or depressed or anxious. And for those to come through words and other people can feel them and be moved by them is a wonderful experience between a writer and a reader, I think. Mm-hmm. Absolutely agree. What is the best way for people to keep up with you online? So as they come away from Big Gay Fiction Fest, hopefully pick up Forbidden Equation, but you know, keeping yes. up with you on everything that's coming up next. Uh, I, my website is jrgreatbooks.com. It's really easy. I just rebranded it and it's very pretty. Um, and I also have a Facebook group, The Gray Pack. So I'm very active in there. And of course, my newsletter is, has everything. So that's the best way to you know, keep up to date. Fantastic. We'll make sure we have links to all of that going along with sure. our conversation here so people can find mm-hmm. all that. Gray, thank you thank so you. much for spending some time with us and being here on Big Gay Fiction Fest. Yes, thank you so much for having me. It was amazing. This episode's transcript has been brought to you by our community on Patreon. If you'd like to read the conversation for yourself, simply head on over to the show notes page for this episode at biggayfictionpodcast.com. Don't forget, the show notes page also has links to everything that we talked about in this episode. And if you'd like even more gay fiction recommendations, Jeff and I have put together Happily Ever After, a free ebook full of reviews and suggested romance reads. So whether you're in the mood for a contemporary or historical or even holiday romance, we have got you covered. You'll get it when you sign up for the Rainbow Romance Reader Report, our weekly podcast newsletter. To learn more and to get your free ebook, go to biggayfictionpodcast.com slash report. And thanks again to Gray for joining us. I enjoy hearing all about his books and process, but in particular how the Love Equation series started coming out now because Ellis James insisted that he write that book right now. Ellis was not going to be waiting for that. (laughs) It's really great to have people in your inner circle who can prompt you to take the leap on things, even like his friend who had nudged him to push Legally Bound all those years ago. All right, I think that'll do it for now. Coming up on Thursday in episode 385, we've got another Big Gay Fiction Fest panel as we talk about paranormal romance. We're going to be joined by Jen Burke, Kiki Borelli, and Mia Monroe to talk about werewolves, phoenixes, witches, and all manner of paranormal creatures and goings-on. On behalf of Jeff and myself, we want to thank you so much for listening, and we hope that you'll join us again soon for more discussions about the kinds of stories that we all love, the big gay fiction kind. Until then, keep turning those pages and keep reading. Big Gay Fiction Podcast is part of the Frolic Podcast Network. Find more shows you'll love at frolic.media slash podcasts. Production assistance by Tyson Greenan. Original theme music by Daryl Banner. 